Well, I invite you to turn now into your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. You'll see for the scripture readings, we'll jump around a little bit uh, to get uh, a kind of panoramic view of creation and fall here in the beginning of the story of the Bible. Starting with Genesis 1, 1 through 4, I invite you to now give your ears to the attention of the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Verse 32 to 2-1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the, seven, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Now 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now Genesis 3, 6, and then 8 to 11. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now Genesis three twenty-two to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let's pray and ask for his blessing upon it. Lord, we have heard your word, these ancient words penned by prophet Moses thousands of years ago, preserved for us and brought before us again this morning. Surely we have heard these words many times. Lord, make them fresh to us. Give us new eyes to see clearly your truth 
and apply it to our hearts, that it might change us, that we might find our joy in Christ. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past year, not to mention this past week, I have noticed in my own heart and also in the life of the church in general that we've all been, in a sense, fighting for joy. It's not just Christians. I think we can safely say that almost everyone has been pulled down to low spirits, a kind of joylessness, and some might have even fallen into depression or despair. In a way, we might think of it this way, that our joy has gone dormant. Our joy is like a bear that has gone into hibernation for the winter, deep into a cave, asleep under layers of anxiety, bitterness, worry, fear, sadness, anger, cynicism. Well, enough is enough in a sense. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to call upon God to awaken joy again in our hearts. That may be the state of our hearts, this kind of sleep, this kind of dormant state. But by contrast, as we see here in the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, we see that God has been committed to His glory and to our joy in Him. God committed to waking up our joy again in Him. And this morning we will see how joy was lost in the beginning in the text that we just read. But before we see how we lost joy in its fullness, we first have to see that according to the Bible, according to what we just read, we were made for joy. In Christianity, we believe that only the existence of God Only the existence of an intelligent designer who is good can make sense of true joy, real joy. That is our belief. The Holy Scripture shows us that joy is not a mere byproduct of chemical reactions releasing dopamine in our brain. No, it may include that, but it is so much more according to the Scriptures. Joy is this spiritual state that we were made for by God himself. The Bible describes joy or happiness as a state of well-being that occurs when a person is in happy harmony with God and all of his good creation. When your whole self is properly aligned with the creator and all that he has created. Now, I think we've all had kind of snapshots of these moments of joy in life, these moments when time seems to stop, as it were, when you feel a deep sense of peace, things just feel right, and you're keenly aware of the goodness of God surrounding you like a warm blanket of His loving kindness. Joy is when you sense God's active presence and favor with you. And these moments that we have, they they feel almost magical. For example, A moment, a snapshot moment of joy might be like that hour of skin-to-skin that you have with your newborn child. Just joy and bliss and peace that you have. Or when you go on a hike with your closest friend and you're out in the open wilderness enjoying God's good creation and as you're walking you open up your heart to your friend with confidence and trust 
knowing that you're in safe hands and you share with your friend your burdens and your friend comforts you with words of peace and encouragement and good news of truth and love in Christ. Or when you're sitting around a campfire with with friends and family singing hymns and praying together. Or perhaps, and we don't always see it this way, but we should, when we partake of the Lord's Supper in mysterious communion both with God and with one another. These are the moments of peace, these snapshots of joy that God gives us in life. And all of this is what Adam and Eve had in the beginning in perfect fullness. We have to imagine that. They had that imperfect fullness constantly. This joy is what humanity was created for. This joy is what you were created for as well. Now, I want us to, to pose a question that we don't often ask, but we should. If we're thinking that we are created for joy and we're thinking about creation itself, why did God decide to create? What was his purpose? Was he lonely or bored? Is that why he created? No, not at all. Because God is not in need of anything else outside of himself because he is perfection in and of himself. He is fullness of goodness, joy, and love. And so we must conclude that God did not create due to any lack in himself, but rather he created due to his own abundance. God created the heavens and the earth, so to speak, in order to share himself with us, with his creation. Creation is evidence of his goodness and his joy overflowing to benefit others. God is like an eternal fountain of joy, and he willed that his own endless joy would spill over and soak all of his creation with goodness, beauty, and life. In the account of Genesis, one shows God, as it were, emerging from the eternal sanctuary of his majesty with this very purpose, to share his glory with all creation, and particularly with humanity. And that's why we find God in Genesis 1 and at the beginning of Genesis 2 rejoicing over his creation at every stage. After each day, he exclaims, good or beautiful. In the Hebrew, tov, 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 good, beautiful. He's not just declaring a fact as if he's stating that it is good. Of course, he's saying that, but he's saying more. God is delighting in his creation with these exclamations. Every part of his vast and diverse creation is good to him, beautiful to him, delightful to him. In Genesis 1, we could think of God as like an artist that's stepping back from his painting and smiling at the beauty of the, uh, of the canvas before him in his work. And at the end of finishing all his work, his masterpiece, he lays down his brush and says, yes, it is very good, very good. And this is important because the fact that he created humanity in his own image, in his likeness, it implies that God made us to do the very same thing. That is to delight in his good creation with him. It's not that God made humanity with an entitlement 
to joy or happiness as if it's something that God owes us. No, God doesn't owe us anything, but rather God is inviting us to joy. He's inviting you to joy out of his overflowing goodness and generosity. The famous preacher and massive intellect, the Puritan Jonathan Edwards, he said this of creation. He says, God created man for nothing else but happiness. He created him only that he might communicate happiness to him. The soul of every man necessarily craves happiness. This is a universal appetite of human nature that is alike in all people. He made us for happiness, to share that with us from himself. We find this also uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer six, which says, God created man good and in his own image so that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. You see, friends, this is what you and I were made for, to live with God in eternal happiness and joy. It is no great wonder, then, that in all times and in all places, humans have pursued happiness in every culture. For example, in the United States Constitution, it enshrined this desire, this pursuit by saying, from equal creation, all men derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we see that the pursuit of happiness is enshrined in the American Constitution, but it's not just an American ideal. No, this is a human desire because we were made for joy, all of us, as humanity. So we have all, all of us this deep, insatiable longing for something more than just fleeting experiences of ecstasy. We long for more than that. Something more meaningful than a quick dopamine rush to the brain that different pleasures in life can give us. We all long for joy that is deep, that is durable, and that is delightful. And this kind of joy is only found in relationship with God and his creation. Why? Because God is the very source of life, joy, and meaning. In fact, this life of joy that God invited humanity to enjoy and to delight in in the garden was symbolized by the tree of life that was there in the midst of the garden. If Adam and Eve had chosen to drink from the source of joy, God himself, and delighted in him, they would, have had, they would have satisfied that inner thirst. God would have given them eternal joy that is deep, durable, delightful, that they could never have lost. Because of, as Psalm 1611 says, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In God alone is fullness of joy. On this point, again, Jonathan Edwards, he says that we should not seek to rid ourselves of the desire for happiness. It's not that desiring happiness in life or desiring joy is a bad thing. No. 
If you think of following Jesus as a kind of cosmic killjoy that you're, you, you have to keep yourself from enjoying the things of life, then you don't understand the Bible and you don't know or understand really who Jesus is. Instead, Edwards shows us that we ought to differ from the world in choosing the right paths to happiness. Because the problem isn't in the passion, he says, it's in the paths. The problem is not wanting joy. That's not where we err as humans. The problem we all have is wanting to pursue joy and happiness in the wrong ways. That's where we go wrong. That's where we go astray. And this is precisely what Adam and Eve did, right? That's how they lost joy in the beginning. They were soaked in the goodness of God, and He was present with them, and yet they chose the wrong path toward happiness. Why? How could that have happened? They had every good gift in front of them. Why did they take the wrong path? Well, as we know the story, the serpent convinced them that God is kind of like a greedy tycoon, hoarding all the best of happiness for himself, and then just giving the leftover scraps and crumbs of joy to humans. But that was not true. That is a lie, because God, as we see in Genesis 1, was sharing the very best with them, His very own heart of joy. And yet, with that deception lodged into their heart, they had a distrust of God, and so they chose the wrong path towards joy apart from God. And what the Apostle Paul says about us in Romans 1.21 applies all the way back to Adam and Eve. Paul says of humanity, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, and their hearts were darkened. We see that they lost sight of God's overflowing goodness. Deception dimmed the light of thankfulness in their heart, and with their hearts darkened, they chose the wrong path, blind, as it were. They sinned, and when they did this, they cut themselves off from the very source of joy itself, God. Humanity forfeited joy when we made that bad call to put God on the bench and try to win the pursuit of happiness apart from our Creator. Now, as we think back on that original story, it's easy for us to blame Adam and Eve. That happens a lot. How could they do that? But let's be honest. You and I do this every day. Every time you pursue happiness apart from God, without giving Him proper thanks for His overflowing goodness, you are doing the same thing as Adam and Eve. We do this every day. You see how here in the opening chapters of the Bible, God is showing us how we have ended up in the miserable mess that we find ourselves in. And it makes sense, doesn't it? How so? Well, joy was God's gift to Adam for the taking. And instead of a proper thanks and enjoyment by his actions, Adam practically told God to shove off. He was saying, let me run my life, my way. Let me call my own shots. I don't need you. I can find joy alone. 
It's sad. Let's think about it this way. What would happen if you did the same thing to the Edison Electric Company? You told them to shove off. Instead of paying your bill, you said, forget you, I'm going to run my own life. I can be a light unto myself. I don't need you. Well, what would happen next? What would the consequences be? Well, soon they would turn off your lights. No more air conditioning, no more internet, no more television, no more Netflix. You can't cut yourself off from the source and still expect to receive the benefits. And the Bible is telling us that God is the author and source of joy and we have pushed him away in our lives, either openly by embracing an unashamed sinful lifestyle or more subtly by keeping up a religious facade while ignoring God in your heart, like the Pharisees did. Either way, we push God away instead of giving him the thanks that is due to his name. And so what happens? The lights out on true joy. If you cut yourself off from the source, you have no access to the supply. Why are we depleted? Why are we anxious, pulled away from God's path towards joy? Well, it's because we are still still in deep pursuit of happiness in hundreds of other ways and other paths, doing it in our own stubborn way. We still go down the wrong, dark paths. Think about it. If you're always plugged into technology, social media, news about politics and what's happening in the world, and the general rhythm of the world and the way and the style of life, then how can you receive life and joy from God? if that is your way of living. All of us, young and old, get sucked into these things because the world convinces us that the way to happiness is found in them. It's wrapped up in what's happening here and now, is what the world says. For example, the world wants us to believe right now that the joy, your joy, is tied to the state of the Union under the United States of America. And so, with this worldly perspective here, trapped here in this time, in this space, well, like Adam and Eve, we're tricked into thinking that God is holding back from us. And we focus on what's happening so much here and now that we decide that true joy is not found in God and in grateful delight in His creation. Instead, we're totally wrapped up in what's going on. And we don't give Him thanks. We don't turn to Him in prayer. Instead, we're deceived into believing that the political stability or food and media, entertainment, news, gossip, shopping, education, or man's approval, that such things will give us joy. And that's why our hearts are given over to them and dedicated to them, putting too much time into those things. But they are all fleeting and never fully satisfy that inner thirst that we all have. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He says the problem is we are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased with the trinkets and the things that the world offers us when God is inviting us to 
to enter in and to enjoy his presence and his fullness of joy. Well, that's society, that's me, and that's you. Do you see how you are far too easily pleased with the things of this world apart from life with God and that you are never fully satisfied? This is ultimately why we feel so miserable often. This is the real reason why we're buried under that anxiety, that stress, that fear and anger. Our joy is in hibernation because we have lived in pursuit of happiness far too often apart from God. What do we do if this is the state of our hearts? Is it even possible to awaken joy in our hearts again? You right now might feel so low and so depressed and have such little hope, but the answer is yes. Yes, joy is possible. Even in this life, as we wait for the coming of the kingdom, joy is possible. But the journey back towards this joy, well, is one where we must unplug from the false sources of happiness. And that's what repentance is. If we've gone down the wrong paths with false promises of joy, well, what happens if you, and you're hiking and you take the wrong path on accident? Well, you have to go back to the start, to the trailhead. And then if you're smart, you'll close off that bad path and say, dead end so that you and no one else goes down that path. Do not enter. In short, we have all made a cut with God, distancing ourselves from Him, going down the wrong path, and so now we need to make a cut with sin and block off that path. Cut it off. Unplug from the false sources of joy. Go back to the trailhead. Go back to God, the source. Then we need to find ways to plug back into that source of joy. We need to learn where the path of life is towards fullness of joy and how to walk in it. And here's the good news. The Bible, throughout the Bible, it shows us the way. The path back to joy is open to us because God has promised to restore us in joy for the praise of His glorious grace. And when did He promise that? He promised it all the way back, still in paradise right after the fall of adam and eve he promised to send a champion who would crush that deceptive serpent and the new testament says that jesus of nazareth was and is our champion he came and sacrificed himself for god's glory and for our joy to be complete in him And that's why in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, it calls us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is such good news for us, because God committed to our joy for his glory. The path of joy is now open before us, freely. Graciously, The path is faith in the person and work of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, ultimately, the Bible is not showing us how you must pursue joy on your own efforts or in your own strength, but rather how God pursued it for us in love 
And that joy now in Christ is a gift that God is giving freely to sinners like you and like me. That we might find fullness of joy by faith alone in Jesus, in what he has done. Jesus is the true path towards real and lasting joy. In the very last chapter of the Bible, we will find the tree of life Again, that symbol of fullness of joy with God. And so we see in the end that God made us for joy. He redeemed us for joy so that through Jesus we might live in that eternal happiness with God and the new creation, which is our hope. And so as we end today, listen to the voice of the future breaking into this present moment from Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Water of life to quench your inner thirst for joy. Both young and old feel entitled at times to joy, or at least the free pursuit of joy, as if it is or were our divine right. We think it is owed to us, but let the record stand, we are not entitled to joy, especially after cutting ourselves off from the source of joy in rebellion against God and and by ignoring Him daily without giving Him proper thanks. Yet, as we've seen, amazingly, God still invites us to find true joy in Him. One author says this, Sam Storms, he writes, God comes to us, God's coming to you today, and says, Here I am in all my glory, incomparable, infinite, immeasurable, and unsurpassed. See me, be satisfied with me, enjoy me. Celebrate who I am. Experience the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of savoring and relishing me. This is what God is inviting us to. He's inviting us into his very own heart to enjoy who he is and what he's done for us. Friends, you were made for joy. Yet, like Adam and Eve, you have cut yourself off from the source of joy. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has done all that is necessary to forgive you all your sins and to awaken joy again in your hearts. Again, Sam Storms, he writes, If God loves you, he will give himself to you and then work in your soul to awaken you to his beauty and all sufficiency. In other words, God will strive by all manner and means to intensify and expand and enlarge your joy in him. Amazing what God is committing to do in His grace, in His love. Earlier, we talked about those snapshots of joy moments that we have in life when time seems to slow down and we're keenly aware of God's goodness and presence surrounding us. Please listen, God doesn't want us to wait for those rare moments of joy to happen in our life. Instead, He wants us to wake up to see more of life in that way to see his presence around us, that the Lord is at hand, to sharpen our vision so that we recognize his active presence and grace breaking into our misery, even in the mundane and ordinary moments, setting aflame our hope, 
to the fullness of joy that is to come in Christ. He wants us to enjoy life more by enjoying his presence in every moment. Does this make sense to you at the close? Do you admit that you have pursued joy in all the wrong places, that you have taken paths that promised happiness, but instead were just dead ends and left you more miserable and more thirsty? Well, if you admit that, I invite you to follow Jesus toward true joy in God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for awakening joy. Or for you Christians who've walked with him for many years, today is the day to come out of hibernation, to let your joy be awakened again in him. Trust in Jesus, and God will work in your heart to awaken you to his beauty and all sufficiency, and the Spirit of God will strive to intensify and expand your joy in him. This is God's promise to us. This is the good news, his commitment to his glory and our joy in Christ. May we rest in him satisfied in the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, although we are filled with sorrow for joy lost, through our own rebellion that stems back to the ancient rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden, and that we have cut ourselves off from the source of joy. That gives us sorrow, and indeed is the reason why we find ourselves in such miserable states filled with anxiety, fear, and bitterness. And yet we see from the very beginning that you promised to regain for us joy, to the praise of your glory and your grace. And you have done that by sending your own Son for us, who died in our place, and rose again to ensure for us, for those who trust in him, fullness of joy to come in his kingdom. Lord, may you turn our hearts, incline our hearts to find and rest in all of the joy that Christ has won for us, all his benefits. Do this, we ask and pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.